Um, and is a really neat story that we're going to share. But the whole concept of the teaching is that we have more power than we think we do. We have much more power than we think we do. And there's a neat story that I've been studying now for a number of weeks. Um, it's found in the Gospel according to Luke. Luke being a medical doctor who became a powerful disciple of the Lord Jesus. And he wrote the Gospel named after him, but he also wrote the book Acts. So if you have uh, read either, you're going to be reading part of his word again. And it's found in Luke 10. Later the Master selected 70 and sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. He gave them this charge. What a huge harvest, and how few the harvest hands. So on your knees, ask the God of the harvest to send harvest hands. On your way, on your way, but be careful. This is hazardous work. You like, you're like lambs in a wolf pack, travel light, comb and toothbrush, and no extra luggage. Don't, don't loiter and make small talk with everyone you meet along the way. In other words, you're on an urgent journey, an urgent job. When you enter a home, greet the family. Peace. If your greeting is received, then it's a good place to stay. But if it's not received, take it back and get out. Don't impose yourself. Stay at one home, taking your meals there, for a worker deserves three square meals. Don't move from house to house looking for the best cook in town. When you enter a town and are received, eat what they set before you. Heal anyone who is sick and tell them God's kingdom is right on your doorstep. When you enter a town and are not received, go out in the street and say, the only thing we got from you is the dirt on our feet and we're giving it back. Did you have any idea that God's kingdom was right on your doorstep? There's some keys to note in that. Now listen, we're, we're talking a story here. These are things to note in the original text and the original story of the 70 being sent out, but it's also speaking to each one of us today as believers because we are sent into all the world. So don't take it just as information on the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. This is supposed to be speaking to us personally. So the first thing it said was the harvest is ready. In other words, people are spiritually hungry and open, open to hearing the good news. I believe that's true today. Secondly, it said it will not be easy. You will be like sheep surrounded by wolves. That's dangerous, but it's also interesting. It's rewarding because you're going to see God protect you and guard you. Third thing it said was God has given to us everything you and I will need. So take a toothbrush and take a comb for your hair if you have any. Bruce and I don't have to worry about that one. But God will supply what you need. That's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. You have everything that pertains unto life and to godliness. And also, he's going to end up putting words in your mouth. You're going to have everything that you need. Matthew 10, 19 says, you open your mouth, I'll fill it. And sometimes we don't go because we don't know what we're going to say. We're not trusting God. 10, 19. Matthew 10, 19. 
Next one, fourth one. God has prepared people, people to help you do what he's called you to do and sent you to do. When you go into the town, there will be people who will invite you in. They have a gift of hospitality. They will open their doors to you. They are people of peace. They may not be saved, but they're people of peace. So God has people who are going to help you to do what he's called you to do. And then you are to move supernaturally, heal the sick, cast out the demons, and your message is only one message. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. I think he's saying something to us today. This is where we're at today in the kingdom. He wants us to know the harvest is ready. This is not going to be easy. Uh, it's not going to take a lot of fluffy Christianity to make this happen. That God has given to us everything we're going to need, including what to say. That God has prepared people to help us, who will open their doors for us. That we are to move supernaturally. And we have only <laughs> one message, the kingdom. If you listen to all of that and take it to heart, out of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11 you will realize that you're going to need the power of God to do what Jesus did. Jesus did everything because he was empowered. Luke, uh, Acts 10, same author as Luke, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. They're not the same thing. And then he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So if Jesus needed to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, they're not the same thing. If we're going to do what he's called us to do, which is what he came to do, he initiated, we're going to complete it. We're going to need what he had. And he says that in John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, in your Bible, whenever you see the words truly, truly, what it means is listen up, I'm not lying. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. So we will heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, all the things Jesus did. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to empower us and anoint us. That's the context of those verses in John 14. So Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you know Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, came up, it went down, got baptized in the River Jordan, came out of the river, and the heavens opened, and the dove descended upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so as he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we need to be empowered by that baptism. The purpose of that power is simple. It's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be a witness. That's the purpose. We're going to witness to what Jesus has done in salvation for us and what he's doing today. The purpose of the power is so that we can be witnesses. Amen? It's more than speaking in tongues. It's to empower us and anoint us to be a witness to people who do not know him. It was interesting in the early church in Acts chapter 4, uh, the very first thing that took place in Acts 3 in the early church was, after 3,000 people got saved in Acts 2, in Acts 3 they healed the lame man who'd been lame from birth, who was at the beautiful gate in the temple. And the next 
chapter in chapter 4, the two guys who allowed God to do that through them were on trial for their life. And the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish religion, said, by what power, so they noted people had power, and in what name did you heal this man? There's healing in the name of Jesus. And so people noticed immediately that these guys were different, uneducated, but different, and they had power. When you get into Acts chapter 8, when the, the message was going down into Samaria, in the city of Samaria, um, and Simon the sorcerer wanted to buy the power, it was noticeable in the life of the believers that something had happened. The power had hit them. They had been transformed. Things were changing. People were <laughs> repenting. And so... We, to do what Jesus is calling us to do, go out as workers in the harvest field, and, there, and everything's ready for us, and everything will be supplied for us, we need this power. But, and it's a big but, we have to believe we have it. When Jesus was ministering, the Pharisees knew the scriptures, but Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 22, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures. They had it memorized, but they didn't really understand it. They didn't really know it. You neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Regretfully, even in spirit-filled churches around the world, that could be said. We know how to quote a verse to back up something we want, but we really don't know the scriptures, the purpose of the scriptures, and what they're really saying to us and the mysteries they are revealing. We need to read them differently. In some cases, like 2 Timothy, where Paul says to Timothy, who's the leader of the church in Ephesus, some of the people in your church have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. Paul's looking at these young Christians and saying there's something wrong. They're not being transformed, and they're not walking in power, and they're not doing what I've called them to do, which is go into all the world as workers in the harvest field. Now, sometimes we deny this power simply by not walking in it and not using it. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the power, but if you're not doing anything with it, you're denying it by not using it and not walking in it. However, there is some good news. In fact, it's bigger than good news. It's great news if, big if, we will broaden our understanding and our perspective. We've got to get a bigger picture here. So I've got five little points I want you to listen to. Point number one, there is power of the potential God has given you. Inside each one of us, God has placed a tremendous amount of potential, skills, talents, abilities, uh, intelligence, understanding, wisdom. We have potential. We have a plan and a purpose for each of our lives because God designed that before you were even born. And that potential is inside of us. There was interesting because I looked for somebody who failed to utilize that potential. And the first guy that shows up is a guy called Demas. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In other words, he had tremendous potential. Paul was mentoring him. He was on Paul's team, but he loved the world more than he loved Jesus. And so the power, the potential didn't go anywhere. To flow in God's power, you cannot love the world. 
In 1 John, it says, if you love the world, you don't love the Father. If you go into the scriptures, there's three men who receive a gift from the Master in Matthew 25. One receives five talents, another receives two talents, another receives one talent. The first two went to work with what they had. They had this potential, five talents, two talents. They invested it. They earned a return on what they had received. The third man buried it out of fear and then was severely rebuked by the master and actually cast into outer darkness where there's gnashing of teeth. He had the same potential as the other two who doubled the amount of money they had been given, except that he didn't do anything with it. The other two went to work. He just sat there with the potential inside him. He didn't do anything with what he had been given. So my point is we all have potential, and there's power in that potential if we apply it and use it for his glory, of course. And so we have more power than we think. I was talking to a lady today, and at the end of the conversation, she said, so how old are you? And I said, 71. And she laughed. She looks like she's about 60. And she said, I'm 81. I hope I look like that when I'm 81. And she had as much energy as you can imagine. 81, still trucking for Jesus. I've known her for 40 years. Just amazing lady. She had the potential and she released it. And there's power in that. Okay, secondly, there's power not only in your potential, but in your persistency. You have to persist. And Bruce gave us a good example of that. He had the job, he quit. <laughs> and then he bit the bullet and ran to the roar and overcame the fear and became number one in Canada, not just Saskatchewan. In Luke chapter 18, you read of a widow who has an urgent need and who bothers a judge. The judge isn't saved because she must have that need met immediately. And because she's persistent, he eventually gives in and grants her request. You know the stories. In Luke chapter 18, it goes on to say, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, but will not God, who's righteous, give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Do we cry out day and night? There's tremendous power in a righteous persistence before a righteous God. Often we just give up. Is that first one Luke 8 or Luke 18? 18. Both 18. They both say 18. Yeah. I thought you said Luke 8. No. Nope. Luke 18:1 to 8. So often we just give up. Sometimes we just give in. How persistent are we? I notice overseas, they don't give up. Even though their leader may be now in jail or killed in a work camp, they just keep going. They find another leader and just keep going. And sometimes we get discouraged and just give up. So there's power in being persistent, pushing. Someone say amen. amen. So we have more power than we think. There's a third one. There's the power of prayer. In the book of Acts in chapter 12, you see James the Apostle, who is resident and leader in Jerusalem. He dies at the hands of Herod. And as soon as he's dead, Herod elect, or, um, 
goes and finds Peter and sticks Peter in jail. And Peter's in prison awaiting execution. And what does the church in Jerusalem do? They gather in pr to pray. God answers their prayer, sends an angel to bring Peter out of his prison cell and into freedom. And they didn't honestly believe it would happen. Because when Peter showed up at the door, they didn't think it was him. Peter didn't think it was going to happen. So sometimes we can pray even without the belief, the faith behind it, and God hears it and he answers us. There's such potential in prayer. Look at the verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a message version, and I like it because it says your prayer is doing the work. So I think we have more power than we think. If you haven't stopped praying. And when we get people, you know, ask people, what do you want to pray about? You need to be writing. Unless you have a better memory than mine, write them down. Okay, number four, we have the power of purpose. And I know these are all P's. Isn't that really neat? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. There's a teenager in the Old Testament. His name is Daniel. He's probably about 16 or 17. And in chapter 1 of the book of the Bible named after him, it states that he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, would stay pure and serve God. He purposed in his heart. That's Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. He purposed in his heart. So he was really saying, regardless of the circumstances, and they weren't great, <laughs> he's just been taken away in captivity to a foreign nation that was more occult than it was anything else. So his circumstances were not great, but he was going to refuse to compromise. He had purposed in his heart Wow. Psalm 57. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. Psalm 108. My heart is steadfast, O God. Psalm 112. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Listen, we have a purpose. As much as Daniel had a purpose, and we need to purpose in our heart. Listen to what God said. And we know that for those who love God, that's us, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. There's power in a purpose. It focuses you. It moves you forward. It gives you a goal. What is God's purpose? What is God's agenda? What is God's will? It's simple. There's a general, specific, sorry, general, generic will for each person, every Christian, and then there's a specific will for your life. The general, generic, no-name will is go, heal, deliver, love, set free, preach the gospel of the kingdom. Everybody's called to do that. Go into all the world and make disciples. Everybody's called to do what Luke 10 and the 72 did. On top of that, you'll be told the specifics. Where, how, when, with whom, why. So everybody has a purpose. And then number five, so we have more power than we think. Amen? Yeah. Number five, there's the power of proof. You can prove your message because you are different. Your life has changed. 
The proof is that you have a powerful testimony of how he took you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This morning, the beginning of the television program I was taping, I was asked once again to give some of my testimony. I've done it 10,000 times, I'm sure. I do it every time I go to a new church. First thing I do is give my testimony. You have a testimony, and there's power in that because your testimony is proof that Jesus is alive and that he's still working in people's lives. God is doing amazing things even when you don't deserve them. Amen? Amen. And if you just think back to what he's doing and recognize that it's him doing it, then you can give him the glory by talking about what he's doing. That's your testimony. And it's powerful. We really do have more power than we think. Revelation chapter 12. They have conquered the devil by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives even unto the death, which is good because you don't have to love your life. You already died. You've been buried in Christ and raised from him, and now you're a new creature. So so all those three things have already happened. He's already died, shed his blood. You have a testimony, and you've already don't have to worry about dying so you don't love your life. You're willing to give up your life. So there's tremendous power in your testimony. Amen? I don't know how often you give it. You should give it all the time to anybody who will listen. Tell you, if you're talking to a Muslim, they'll... We got in a taxi cab, my two grandchildren and myself, and I hadn't sat down yet and got comfortable on our way to a hotel in New York City and the guy who was the taxi driver was already witnessing to us about the fact he was a Muslim and how good Allah really was. He beat me to it. We all have a testimony. We need to share it. It's powerful. And it's proof that Jesus is still alive. So we really do have more power than we think. Amen? So there is the potential built into you, and it's unique to you. You have to persist. Stop giving up. You have prayer that's more powerful than even I admit, because I don't pray near as much as I should, nor as long as I should, in the sense of really getting in and getting a hold of God. There's a purpose for each of us. There's tremendous power in knowing what you're supposed to do and where. And then there's the power of the proof, which is your testimony. And you're going to hear a tremendous testimony. So relax. Can you turn the light out? Please. Is it going to start up? Or do I have to do it one more time? My name is Cody Bates. Uh, I was born in Calgary, Alberta. You know, I had different father figures coming in and out of my life. Uh, by the age of four, I had called uh, three different men in my life dad. Um, you know, I learned, I learned at a very young age that loving somebody was dangerous. And if you did it, you're going to get hurt. Um, at 12 years old, I tried drugs for my first time. When I smoked my first joint, uh, I got way more than I bargained for. Uh, what happened was, is I was on my way to school, I smoked this joint, and my, my intentions with this weed was to be the, the cool kid on the playground for once. You know, I was gonna be the cool kid, and uh, people are gonna know I was high, and I was gonna be sweet. And, uh, and I got to school, and the craziest thing happened when I was high, and that's, I didn't care what anybody thought of me. 
I was, for once in my life, I was okay to be in my own skin. For once in my life, that massive void that was inside of me was filled to the brim. And I decided in that moment that I was gonna chase that feeling forever. Uh, I started getting in trouble, crime uh, at a very young age. Started going to jail when I was about 15. I was uh, serving time and I met guys in there that were, that were gang members. And uh, these guys treated me good. Like it was for the first time in my life, I was getting, I wasn't getting pecked on. I wasn't getting bullied. I was getting shown love. So it was very perverse love but it was, it was the first kind of feeling of family I ever had. And I decided I would chase that, you know, and it was the first time that I wasn't on drugs and I felt complete. So I decided I would chase that. So I remember getting out of prison and all the things that come along with gang life followed me getting out of prison. So the level of criminal activity just went through the roof. Like I, was, I started getting involved in uh, narcotic trafficking. I started getting involved in home invasions, kidnappings, uh, all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it was just, and it was just all because, you know, I loved being around these guys. I loved the respect it came with. I loved the women. I loved the cocaine. I loved just every single form of escape I could possibly get in my hands on. Uh, I fell in love with and uh, yeah. And everything changed for me on June 6, 2006. And uh, my friend and I took the life of my rival in, uh, in a drug turf war. And, uh, and I got charged with first degree murder about a year and a half later. Uh, when I got charged with homicide, my heart just went black. I was looking at 25 years, uh, sitting in a prison cell, sitting in maximum security, sitting around the worst most violent, most demonic individuals you could ever imagine. And everybody just needed to prove, prove themselves to everybody else. So it was, it was just dangerous. And, and, and for me, 22 years old, sitting in a maximum security prison, I needed to, to destroy any weakness I had. So, and I was a gang member. So I, I uh, you know, any calls for violence, I was always the first to volunteer. And uh, when I went into a cell with somebody, it was always coupled with a massive statement. And that was that I wanted to move up within the ranks of the gang. Um, within about six months, I was the highest ranking member in the institution. Uh, we were going to war with one of the largest prison gangs uh, in the province. And, uh, and all the people, all the acts of violence that were happening, all the stabbings, all the beatings, everything, because I was the guy in charge, it all kind of fell on my shoulders. Uh, so I found myself in solitary confinement, uh, 23 hour lockdown, super max, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, by myself. And in, in a really perverse sense, I thought I arrived. I was sitting in a cell by myself, I was super max, I was, you know, everybody feared me, respected me, and everything I ever thought I ever wanted, I had in 23 hour lockdown. And, uh, and I was just dying inside. I was just so empty and so desperate for just to have that, that void filled inside of me. Yeah, I ended, up, I ended up getting released about six and a half years later. And when I went back out, I went head into criminality with a, with a maximum security mentality. And uh, when I went into it, I just, yeah, I went into it head first and I went in strong. And uh, I started building uh, a, narc a trafficking operation, a cocaine dollar dope operation in South Calgary. Uh, and I would, I would, 
go out and I would meet people at the bars, parties, all that, and I would get them put on phones. And as soon as I had 120 people on that phone, I would hire two shift workers to work that phone. And then I would start building another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And it got to a point just where I had thousands of customers. And it wasn't, and it was, I was making more money than I'd ever seen. And, uh, but, but it wasn't about the money for me. It was, it was strictly about the escape. This the only reason why I was selling drugs is because it came with cocaine and I sold it in large quantities because that means I never ran out. So I'd never have to come down. So, um, you know, as you know, I went, as I dived further and further into that darkness, I chased everything that I thought, again, would fill that void inside of me. And that was, you know, that was money, that was drugs, that was women, that was parties, that was friends. You know, and, and I just chased all that and I had all that with that lifestyle. And again, just just <laughs> leaving me feeling empty inside. Uh, the more the the more and the more I went into it, the more the dope dialed back on me and the more it the party came to an end. Uh, as the party started to come to an end, I lasted I, I was going for about three years uh, since I started using again and when and when I was when I was going, um, I never stopped. Like it was, it got to a point where I was only sleeping every six days. Uh, you know, I used to enjoy going to parties and stuff like that. I was, I, I never left my house. You know, I never, I just sat there staring at my surveillance cameras for days on end. People coming in with, you know, to give me the money that my phones brought in and then I would give them more drugs that would leave and then I would just sit there staring at these cameras. I just lost all the ability, all my ability to see the beauty in life. Uh, like I didn't care about going to parties. I didn't care about seeing old friends. I didn't care about good food. I didn't care about gorgeous weather. I didn't care about girls anymore. I literally, the only thing that did anything for me neurologically was the cocaine I was doing. And, and, and uh, my health problems started getting out of control. I was doing about $1,500 of cocaine a day. And, uh, and just built up just a massive tolerance to the drug. I needed it more and more and more and more. And every time I came down, it was just all the pain and all the torment of the world would just come crashing down on me. Like as soon as my mind would start to clear a little bit from the drugs I was polluting it with, all the wreckage that I had been doing to it would be very prevalent. And I would be just a mess until I go high again. So I just never came down. Uh, I just, yeah, and I just kept diving further and further into that. I started having heart attacks uh, on the regular. I started dropping. My heart stopped three times where I had to be resuscitated by, by ambulance EMS. And, uh, you know, and, and I, remember, I remember being at a point where there was no way out except for death. There is, you know, and, and, but death wouldn't take me. I died over and over and over again, heart attack after heart attack after overdose, uh, and just death wouldn't take me. And, and I remember being told I was gonna die, and the relief that came with that, you know, that, that it was finally gonna be over soon. Like, I wanted to die. I tried countless different methods to kill myself. I filled in, in needles full of bleach, put them into my veins. I sat uh, in a car with a tube going into the window with exhaust. I did that for an hour and a half. I was Googling. It said I would, should be dead in 20 minutes. It wasn't dead. I just, I, try, I wanted to die in every sense of the word, and death wouldn't take me. And I remember when I got told I was going to die, it was just a, just a wave of relief washing over me. One day, one day I'm sitting in, uh, sitting in my house and this girl comes in 
and uh, and she's she's showing me these paintings, and these paintings are painted by a girl named Akiana Kramerik, and this girl is seven years old, and she she says that Jesus Christ taught her to paint, and she's been on the Oprah show. Her paints paintings sell for millions of dollars a pop. Um, I remember looking at these paintings, and I don't know what it was, but something clicked when I was looking. There was this one portrait uh, specifically it was called The Prince of Peace and it was a picture, a painting of Jesus. And I remember looking at this painting and there was a painting by a seven-year-old. And for the first time in my life, I realized who Jesus was. I always thought he was just a character in the Bible or, you know, I'd never been to church or anything like that. And I was looking at this picture and I remember looking at that painting and believing that that was, that that was God. But in order for me to have any relationship with him, I would have to get clean. I would have to get sober. I would have to separate myself from my friends. I would have to quit doing selling drugs. I would have to do, you know, me, 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 me. It would have to be me to do everything. And so I was, you know, so not for one second did it cross my mind that maybe, you know, he could do anything for me. It was like, I just thought, you know, I just thought it was cool that God was real. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and then I survived for another five months after I got told I was gonna die, um, I remember one physician telling me that the sheer amount of cocaine I was doing is what was keeping my heart beating. On January 4th, 2017, I was taking my fate, I was taking my fate out of the hands of whoever was in charge. Uh, I was gonna take my life that day. And, and as I'm cutting my wrists, I'm thinking about, thinking about my family, thinking about my life, and, and not, not to try and stop myself, but because I just, I was so filled with shame and guilt and hurt and pain and just years of treachery just weighing down on my shoulders that every time I thought of the people that I loved, it just gave me that energy to get that knife cut, to, cut, to get that knife even deeper. And, uh, and I remember just getting the knife deep into my wrist and it went deep in and I was, and I stopped for a second and I knew it was deep enough. And then I knew that all I had to do was pull it back and it was all gonna be over. And, uh, and as I'm just about to pull it back, all of a sudden I started feeling things I have never felt in my entire life. First of all, it was like everything Everything fell off my shoulders in a split second, and I started being filled with, with benevolence, with joy, with peace, with things I've never felt before in my entire life. And, and the, like, not just a little bit, but like bursting out of me. And, and I was, as I'm sitting there heaving, I'm hearing the words, it's over, it's over, your suffering's come to an end. And I knew, without a doubt, that Jesus Christ was talking to me. Now, up to that point, I was a convicted killer, I was a gang member, I was a drug dealer, I was a diagnosed sociopath. He left the 99 to come and save me. And my addiction was gone. And I went from a $1,500 a day cocaine habit to not even craving at all. But I had to detox, it was, it was coming out of my system. And, uh, and I remember staying at my dad's house and it was, it was an awful, awful, like it was an awful feeling. Every day was just spent shivering under the blankets in, in, my, in my bed and thinking every minute that I wasn't gonna make it to the next minute. 
Um, I, I go see my family doctor uh, about about six days after I got saved, and and he's looking at me. I'm 125 pounds. Uh, he's looking at the laundry list of things that are wrong with me on my medical record. I got, you know, my liver's failing, my heart's failing. You know, I got stomach ulcers. You know, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's like, I'm gonna have to send you to the emergency room. Like, we might have to take you down and you know, bring you down in the emergency room. I went back to my dad's house. Um, I had superimposed anxiety, had uh, depression, I had bipolar, and PTSD. I just had a laundry list of you know things wrong with my head. Uh, everywhere I went, I'd just be clutching my stomach. Just you know, I'd be, my dad would take me somewhere and I'd be dive bombing out of his moving vehicle, you know, because of just how just how the amount of anxiety I had was just excruciating. And uh, and yeah, and like I said, every day I'd shiver under my covers, thinking I wasn't gonna make it from one day to the next. And uh, and I remember I remember thinking like, okay, I knew I knew that Jesus saved me, but I didn't know if I was. Protestant. I didn't know if I was a Catholic. I didn't know if I was some kind of witness. <laughs> like I had no idea. Like I just knew he saved me. I didn't know what it was or where to go. And uh, and I remember asking myself, who can I trust in this situation? Uh, so I go to the right church and I'm like, Akiana Premier. I'm like, what is she? And I, I remember Googling, you know, and she's a Christian. I'm like, well, then I'm a Christian. <laughs> and then I'm like, who do I know that's a Christian? And uh, it turns out my uncle's a Christian. I'm like, okay, so I mean, he can be trusted. <laughs> so I'm like, what church does he go? to when he's in town and he goes to the Black Diamond Gospel Chapel and, and I, so I go I go there and I remember my first day in church first time in church and I'm and I come running in and I go run into the front pew front and center and sit down just shaking holding my midsection just rocking back and forth and uh, and the pastor's like stops what he's doing kind of it's like looking at me it's kind of I hadn't seen a lot of this before I guess and uh, he's <laughs> then he keeps going as soon as service is over I get up and I fuck it out and he chases me down and when he chases me down he, he grabs he grabs me and he puts the Bible in my hands and when he put that in my hands I knew that everything written in this book was as good as gold anything written in this book this is just <laughs> written you know that God wrote this book and that's you know that everything in here is perfect and uh, and I took it home and I remember shivering under my covers and I started just leafing through it and uh, and as I'm leafing through it I'm understanding it and and uh, God just really opened up my heart and started speaking to me through the Bible and uh, and yeah and as the as the days turned into months uh, my head started to clear started to get better I leaned on God harder and harder and uh, and us and then, then uh, you know he put it on my heart to start writing a book so I started writing a book and you know I'd be you know, <laughs> I have no typing skills so I'd be under my blankets finger pecking my way to victory <laughs> reading my reading my Bible start typing a bit and, and uh and yeah and slowly but surely I started to get that done I said yes and then and then he asked me to get baptized you know that got put in front of me I said yes uh, my my pastors asked me if I'd be interested in going to Bible college and I said yes <laughs> you know and I just kept saying yes to these God God just kept putting things in front of me um, he put a guy in front of me uh, it's my first my first time trying to help somebody uh, this guy was a meth a meth addict and he, he's you know hiding in his attic thinking the cops are raiding uh, living in psychosis kind of like me and uh, and he, uh, and he comes comes over to my house for a detox and he's you know he's talking about he wants me to meet his drug dealer
dealer and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, well, why would you put this guy in my life, God? This, you know, this is a horrible first one. And uh, and then six days after, he shows up at my house in a split, transforming moment. Darkness turned to light while he was breaking one day. And just like me, I thought maybe I was special. Nope. <laughs> no, I'm not special at all. He wants all of his lost sheep, man. And, uh, and yeah, man, that guy's sober today. And, uh, and, and I remember when that happened, something happened inside my heart. I wanted to, I wanted to you know, I'm like, you know, if, if, if that means God was showing me with, with him that he wants all of his lost sheep, I'm like, how can I show everyone how good this works? How good Jesus works? I can't believe everybody does and uh, so I decided to go down to East Hastings for Christmas. And I, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what to do. Like, I remember when God put East Hastings on my heart, I was thinking, you know, like, uh, like you know, can't we start with the mustard seed or something? <laughs> yeah, nope. <laughs> and uh, I went down uh, to East Hastings. I had 400 Bibles. I raised $7,000. Um, nobody was coming with me. It was over Christmas, so I haven't been at home with my family in Christmas in years. But that's just where God asked me to go, and I said yes. And you know what? And I really reeled in what I was capable of doing. I'm not capable of doing anything. All I'm capable of doing is planting seeds. I can't save anybody. It's all God. It's all by what He did. You know, so I go out and, and so I just kind of started going out, handing out Bibles, sitting with people, man. Jesus was the greatest evangelist in the world. But what he did is he washed the feet of his disciples. If anyone was in a position of power and authority to say, you need to listen to me, it was him. That's not what he did. He served, served everybody. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's what I did when I was down there. And God was just working magic down there. I ended up, the guy that I met, the very first guy I met, ended up coming with me out of there. He's sober today. <laughs> you know, just like living this brand new life. He was homeless on Hastings for two years with, with a heroin and, <laughs> and meth addiction. And yeah, and you know, and the guy's sober today. Jesus is the answer. Jesus works. And I just kept saying yes when he put something in front of me. And I don't know what the future looks like for me. Right now I work at Teen Challenge uh, in the Okanagan and, and, and I got hired there because I'm an evangelist. Today I don't have that emptiness that I had for so many years that I just tried to fill up with women with substance. My identity is completely wrapped up in who Jesus created me to be. My identity is completely wrapped up in Him. And I am filled to the brim with freedom, with happiness, with joy, with peace. And I have never experienced that before in my life, before Jesus. And he wants, he's knocking on all of our hearts, man. faith is to decide that if he's Lord, you're going to say yes to whatever he asks you. And if you make that decision, then the rest of it's simple. Because no matter what he asks you, you already said yes. yes. You know, you don't have to think about it. The answer is yes, because you already said it. So, 
I remember three weeks into my own salvation, which will be 42 years next month, mm -hmm. um, I said yes. I said, whatever you ask me, the answer is yes. So don't bother to wait. The answer is already yes. And I think that's why he's used us. So let's look at two last scriptures. First Colossians, first chapter of Colossians, starting at 11. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. That's the key. You have more power than you think. According to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You're being strengthened with all power. That's a prayer. We have more power than we think. One more. And it's from, sorry, Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Uh, it reads uh, that according to the riches of his glory, uh, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Again, the concept of power. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Power, power, power. We have more power than we know. And we need to start releasing it. So you have power in your prayer, you have power in your potential, you have power. And I think we are living below our potential. Just a tad bit, maybe. You know, or a tad bit. Just a tidbit. <laughs> was that was Ephesians 3, 16 and 17? Yeah, Ephesians 16 to 21. So we have more power than we think. Someone say amen. Amen. And we can see the power of God working in our lives if we would just release it. You're not sitting waiting for more power. You got it. There's not more of the Holy Spirit. He's the person. You got him. It's time we began to step out and believe in the potential God has placed inside each one of us. That can be a little frightening, but we can overcome fear. Amen? Perfect love casts out that kind of fear. Okay, so any questions on all of that?